When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Throughout most cultures, um, you know, um, indigenous, land-based, nature-based peoples would often have rituals at night around fires um, of dancing into a kind of frenzy in which they might experience catharsis, emotional release, or under that amazing, awesome um, canopy of the night sky full of stars, they might begin to open themselves to a sense of wonder and connection to something greater than our normal sense of self. The seven chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head for thousands of years. This ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here host and founder of my seven chakras my seven chakras.com the show will be help you calm your mind relax your nervous system and experience deep states of bliss in today's episode we talk about some really amazing topics including how darkness can be leveraged for healing the practice of tantra and how your body might actually be the key to self realization so if you love these topics that i just shared And if you don't want to miss out in the future, then here's what you need to do. Number one, if you're on your iPhone, hit subscribe. If you are on Spotify, hit the follow button. If you're watching this on YouTube as a live stream, or maybe even a replay, hit the subscribe button and hit the bell notification button. Because what that does is it does something to the algorithm that allows our episodes to be in front of more and more people allows us to grow, but it also ensures that you do not miss out on any of the amazing episodes that we've lined up for you in 2021 as well. All right, so hit subscribe, hit the bell notification so that we can grow as a family. With that being said, let's bring on our special guest for today, Suta Guy Rawson. So Suta has over 25 years of experience in the healing arts and has led workshops and trainings in 15 countries. He offers transformational coaching to individuals and couples, and he's passionate about the breath as a divine gift for helping us ground, connect, open, and expand, and is currently pioneering work with the healing power of darkness retreats. He's known for his friendly and down-to-earth approach, as well as being highly experienced in tantra, meditation, and sacred sexuality. These are the topics that we're going to explore on today's episode. So if you're watching live, you are lucky, but even otherwise, you are really going to enjoy this experience. So make sure that you watch and listen till the very end. So Suta, thank you so much for joining us. 
Well, thank you, Aditya. Um, thank you for inviting me and um, opening up a space for what I hope will be a really inspiring and empowering conversation for me, you, and everyone who ever gets to hear this. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes it feels as if I put these feelers into the universe in terms of topics and uh, themes that I'd like to explore in my own life. And it seems like some people respond. So my question to you is, did you get any psychic connection or theme that led to us connecting like this? <laughs> uh, it was psychic to the degree of being, I think I saw something that you put out on social media. And I know that you're very open and curious to explore all kinds of things to do with consciousness, healing, and your body-mind. And um, I think you'd said something that you were interested in maybe taking a step into exploring darkness. So um, that's something that I'm very passionate about. Um, I've been listening to your show for a number of years already. So I thought, okay, I'll reach out and let's see if he, you're open to a conversation. And one thing led to another and here we are. Well, you listening to my show is definitely an honor for me. I appreciate you listening to our show. Uh, and I was hoping to start from darkness, but the darkness, the first darkness that we experience in this physical lifetime, which is birth. So where did you grow up as a kid and what was life like back then? So um, I grew up in Yorkshire in Northern England um, in the 1970s, I was growing up. And um, uh, even from a very young age, I always had a kind of questioning attitude towards reality. I was looking around at the behavior of adults around me and um, somehow I thought it was all a bit kind of strange, a bit odd. And um, I, in my early life, I was really trying to figure things out from the mind. I was living from here up. So, you know, when I got into my teens, um, I was very interested in philosophy, for example. And um, so that was my main approach at that point, um, asking questions, reading, and uh, a kind of quite an intellectual approach. When I was 19, I kind of had a, a, an initiation experience by coming into a relationship with an older woman who basically reintroduced me to life of the body. And I started to um, really explore what it is to try to land here in a body, on the planet, being present, and starting to open up um, emotionally because I'd been quite shut down, I'd been chronically shy. And so, you know, I was really um, in need of quite some healing. And desperation is a very powerful motivator. And I felt very powerfully motivated to try and make some changes about things that weren't working. I think a lot of people, they're really carrying, and I was certainly carrying, a lot of conditioned ideas that I'd picked up just from the society around me and through the education system and so on. And th those ideas really weren't helping me in the main. They were kind of screwing me up a little bit, or mm. a lot, and causing a lot of pain and frustration in various parts of my life.
So I really made a, a decision to try to heal. And then the more that I went on that journey, I felt so strongly that I wanted to share those things that had worked for me, that I would pass them on to others. Got it, got it. Uh, and so as you shared this story, you had you were in a relationship at when you were you know 19 years of age yeah. and you felt this need for healing so what about your life condition or about what you were going through at that time made you realize that you need healing in the first place um i think relationship gives us a very powerful mirror and through um, through love, through the power of love and through the power of um, what was being shared with me and what was being evoked in me, mm. I, I was feeling my own limitation. I was feeling my own sense of um, burdens and confusion. And like I say, I, I already had quite a keen mind an active mind, but mm -hmm. it was, uh, I was very, I, I was wanting to open to other dimensions of the self, dimensions of myself, and then somehow bring them into an integration and a wholeness. And in a way, that's that's been a large theme of the journey and maybe the theme of the journey for all of us to re, what I call remember, to bring together all the parts of us that we might have repressed, forgotten, um, th those parts of us that have split off and fragmented, and to bring them back into a harmony. Mm -hmm. And to remember that basically we ha are here in one, one body and that we're uh, one being, a multidimensional being with many facets and that there's something of this notion of oneness that we can connect in with and experience. So there were some of the um, themes. Does that answer your question to some extent? Oh yeah, it definitely does. And you know, you mentioned that you were in a relationship and a relationship can sometimes be like a mirror. Yes. Uh, bringing out things about you that you probably did not know existed inside of you. So for, and this is an amazing topic, but for listeners who want to get a better idea of what you mean, could you give us an example of how when somebody is in a relationship, maybe an intimate one, it has the effect of bringing forth aspects of, of yourself that you might not have realized you had just like a mirror. Um, well, one of the main paths that I've been exploring for many years is the path of Tantra, the, the merger of um, spirituality and sacred sexuality. And one of the things that really was highlighted through that relationship was in the domain of sen sensuality, sexuality and, and intimacy. And um, I've since worked with thousands of people in that arena. And um, I think certainly many, many men are 
um, carrying a lot of conditioning, just as are women. But of course, I know from the inside intimately what it is to be a man. And so I know that men are carrying all sorts of um, confusion and uh, probably silently carrying a, a kind of isolation and loneliness. And, and I was also experiencing that. And what is it to kind of un, to unguard the heart and become a bit more um, transparent and, and, and live more authentically and going beyond traditional stereotypes of what it is to be, what it is to be a man and what it is to be a good lover, these kinds of things. That is an important topic that we're going to revisit. But before that, I was hoping to explore the darkness. Yes. And then sort of get into Tantra and talk sure. about the stereotype that men have or mm -hmm. men get to, get to face. But also what it means to be a true, true lover, which is an amazing topic. But before that, mm. how did you discover the power of darkness? Well, um, you know, there's a way in which darkness is part of every day. Mm -hmm. um, I'm speaking to you now, and it's uh, after 11 p.m. here in the UK. It's very dark outside. And that's part of the cycle of in, in nature, isn't it? Night and day. Um, here it's the middle of winter. Um, so it's a dark time of the year. And... Um, I got very interested in meditation at an early age. So in meditation, we have just through um, most forms of meditation are involving closing the eyes and going within. That simple act of closing our eyes means that we're withdrawing attention from the outside, from the world of color and light and form, which some of the ancient teachings would frame as these are kind of distractions to us. It's like the world of um, maya, illusion, samsara, and that by turning our attention inwards, we can begin to cultivate um, deeper states of self-knowledge by going within. So um, meditation featured in my life from about the age of 16. Mm -hmm. I started uh, meditating then. And then as part of my journey into darkness, um, at a certain point, I came to live in a meditation center, which also had a spa within it with something called a flotation tank. Okay. Do you know about flotation tanks at all? I do, but I haven't experienced a flotation tank yet. In fact, this morning I saw a post on Instagram of a flotation chamber nearby, which I've been meaning to try out, but I haven't experienced it, but I've heard so much about it. <laughs> okay, well, I would wholeheartedly recommend yeah. that you try that and to all the listeners. Yeah. Basically, um, a flotation tank is like a small um, room or a pod that contains maybe um, nine or 10 inches of highly salted water heated to body temperature. It's so salted that you can float in it. It's also pitch black inside. You can have it pitch black. And um, often they're silent, but you can also have the option to listen to music in there. So I lived in a place that had one of these, and I loved that. Um, so I clocked up about 500 sessions in the flotation tank. And um, sometimes I would go in there through the night for many hours. 
Mm. And this was a really, um, what it does is it promotes really deep states of relaxation. At that time in my life, I was practicing, um, my livelihood was in um, body work. So this is kind of hands-on massage and energy work and this kind of thing. And I was very interested in the point where there's a kind of how, how sensitive, how relaxed could I come whilst remaining conscious? Because many people associate relaxation with kind of going unconscious or there's something about the nervous system where when people relax deeply, they tend to drift off and go asleep. So the flotation tank is an excellent situation for um, practicing really profound states of relaxation. And then within that, I was really interested in um, exploring the most subtle realms of, okay, what will be a smallest movement that I could intend, like a little movement of a fingertip. And getting closer and closer to realizing that when does intention, when can I begin to feel that in my nervous system? Mm. Because again, it's a situation in which there's no distractions. So it brings a certain kind of relaxed focus of attention. Mm -hmm. So the, um, the flotation tank played a quite a key role, I think, in my journey into appreciating what can happen in dark situations. Then um, a little while later, um, I was basically, I was really interested in stuff to do with the body at that mm -hmm. point. So as well as um, exploring massage and body work, um, I was really into movement and dance, like expressive forms of dance. And I did a few trainings in something called trance dance, mm -hmm. which is a kind of dance which is done um, blindfold, using these kind of blindfolds. Um, and with an intention not to look good or learn certain moves or choreography, but to go into altered states to access healing, vision and guidance and this is something that goes way back in time throughout most cultures um you know um indigenous land-based nature-based peoples would often have rituals at night around fires um of dancing into a kind of frenzy in which they might you experience catharsis emotional release or under that amazing awesome um, canopy of the night sky full of stars they might begin to open themselves to a sense of wonder and connection to something greater than our mm. normal sense of self so um, training and doing a lot of trans dance and then holding trans dances myself and witnessing what it is for other people to go through that process. That was another stage in my journey into darkness. And then at a certain point, I heard about this thing called darkness retreats. Mm. And I didn't need to know anything more about it. I just saw those words and I just, it was like a sense of an inner calling. I just knew I have to try that. I have to go and do that. And I followed that. And then what I discovered by um, going into these darkness retreats, which were mostly um, five days, 
five days being continuously without sight um, in darkness. And it sounds like it, it sounds like it's such a simple method. It is really simple. And it's so profound and so beautiful. And what my, I found was it brought me home inside more deeply than anything else that I'd ever experienced. And I tried so many things on my journey, you know, this wild and weird and wonderful journey of um, personal development and spiritual mm -hmm. exploration. Um, this was the thing that really brought me home, I felt. Should I say a bit more about the, the, yeah. ne the next step in that? So after yeah. um, experiencing a few, uh, quite a number of these darkness retreats, I think it was around about 2011, um, I experienced a kind of unraveling. Um, my life seemed to be falling apart for a time. I'd messed up a relationship with a girlfriend. I was going to be due to go to America and spend some time with her. That didn't work out. So instead, I was in England in the wintertime. I had no work lined up in a very expensive flat I couldn't afford, which was plunging me into debt. And not only into debt, but into depression. Mm. And even though at that point I had so many techniques and tools and things in my kit bag that I could try to use to fix myself, somehow I wasn't going to go there. What happened instead was that after I'd done my sessions in the day, I would just go home. I wouldn't, I'd switch off the stereo. I've not had a TV for years, but uh, I'd switch off the computer, the stereo. And basically, I would just sit in the dark. Mm. And in the beginning, it was really uncomfortable. I was feeling down and like a loser. And uh, so I was going down, 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 down. And then at a certain point, it's like I hit a bottom. And mm. at the moment that I hit bottom, I realized ah, this is what I love. This darkness mm. actually can hold me, can hold anything that I bring to it, any kind of negative thoughts, any emotional pain, any despair. It can just hold it and compost it. And I'd already had experiences of its transformative power and then somehow I just got like a download. This is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to share this. So in that download, it's like I was being seeded with a vision of a way to bring the darkness work, darkness retreats out into the world more. And so I've been kind of nourishing and tending that seed and that vision ever since. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Got it, got it. Um, well, so firstly, thanks a lot for breaking this down for us because, you know, I think people listening intuitively know that there is an inherent value in shutting off the ice and going inwards and sort of avoiding that overstimulation of our senses, uh, be it through a 15-minute meditation with your eyes closed, uh, through the um, flotation chamber that you spoke of, which I got to try for sure. Uh, but when it comes to hours and hours and even days of darkness, mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people can fathom because they have not experienced it yet, nor have I. But it sort of makes sense that initially it might be diff- you know, uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It might be challenging. But after a certain point, you ex- it seems like you experience some kind of some kind of breakthrough. So help us understand what happens in our body, maybe physiologically, chemically, emotionally, the more time we spend in the dark. Maybe if you can help us understand that. Sure, that's a great question. Thank you. So one of the um, amazing powers of the darkness is that it is affecting us on all of those levels that you mentioned simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And basically, the longer that you're in there, the deeper it goes. It's like we are um, peeling away layers. So, um, for example, uh, physiologically, it's like we're peeling away layers of stress and tension, which are the result of our modern lifestyles, which are, it's like most people, we're on a hamster wheel of constant, Mm -hmm. frenetic, frantic activity. Um, in a society that orients us to doing more and more and more doing to, to try to achieve and get bigger, better, faster, more. And what the darkness um, lets us kind of um, rest into is a shift from constant busyness and doing into a state of being, a state of Mm. pure being. And um, something in the body loves to go from a state of contraction and tension and tightness to softening and opening and relaxing. That feels really good. There's just inherently, intrinsically, the way the body's made, that feels good. Mm. Likewise, in, in the mind, in the region of the psyche, um, people have got into habits of either negative thinking or compulsive thinking. So the, the, the mind is just yattering on and on and on, and people don't know how to quieten the mind. And what can start to happen the longer that we're in darkness and we settle into it is that the mind does begin to quieten and we can start to notice, for example, the space between thoughts, the gap between thoughts. Mm. Um, part of our um, brain function um, is to do is is regulated by our intake of light. So um, you know that really uh, affects the regulation of the hormonal system. So when we're not um, taking in that stimulation of light through the eyes, 
that's affecting um, the production of melatonin, for example. And um, so that's what the one way that I like regard it is as a kind of rebalancing on many levels. It's a, it's a, it's a rebalancing. And, and it's true what you said. Um, in the beginning, people might have some period where of having a kind of detox reaction. So just like when you withdraw from eating mm. and, and having a fast, you might experience the detox of all the junk, all the unhealthy things yeah. that you've been putting into your body. Um, sometimes we might pass through a brief period of that, like the stuff that we've been putting into the mind. Right. There might be a kind of um, detox kind of reaction, but even that is actually quite rare. What I've found is that um, most people that come on the on a darkness retreat, they're a bit like how I was. They're just responding to a sense of calling. Mm. They, they're like, there's just something about this. I don't know why I'm here, but I just had to come. Right. Then there are a lot more people who initially might sort of think, well, that sounds a bit weird. But if they have a little bit of education, Mm. Maybe they hear me speaking about it or they read some article. Then they go, oh, wow, that <laughs> makes sense. I can yeah. see that that could be quite an interesting experience. And, yeah. and um, going beyond like just having a novel experience, like an, an unusual thing. For example, um, in many cities around the world, there's something called dining in the dark. Yeah. So, yeah. You know about that? Again, I've not been, but I know it's there. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you, you would go to, typically this is a restaurant, which is mm. pitch black. Um, mm. You are served by blind waiters and waitresses. And you are basically um, sitting at a table with people that you cannot see. And you're eating food and drinking the things that you can't see. And I tell you, that gives a radically different experience of just that simple act of what it is to eat and drink. Mm. As the visual sense takes a rest, all the other senses really get heightened and more sensitized. So that includes the olfactory and gustatory sense involved in drinking and eating and smelling. Um, obviously, our sense of touch is altered. What it is to be in a body moving through space, um, you know, our kinesthetic and proprioceptive senses get mm -hmm. um, intensified. And another interesting phenomena is um, our hearing it becomes heightened. So things like the emotional impact of music mm -hmm. uh, is completely uh, enhanced. Right. So, so interesting. I mean, it sort of makes sense, you know, because we focus so much on visuals that if you for a moment intermittently stop the visuals, then the other senses get an opportunity to exercise themselves. I've been having a lot of interviews with Ayurvedic, you know, experts and, 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 and people in that space. And there's a lot of emphasis on the circadian rhythm in Ayurveda, right? So you wake up, you know, look, you know, get the vitamin D and the nourishment from the sun. Mm -hmm. And similarly, as you're winding down, try to avoid blue light from your phone and your laptop so that you can, 
you know, optimize the production of melatonin and you can hit your sleep cycle so that you can rest and relax accordingly. And I'm actually going to buy a, a blue blocking glass one of these days because in the evening I want to wear that to protect the blue light interference. So it sort of makes sense that, you know, at least the first few hours maybe of you being in complete darkness, your body is sort of hitting a reboot button, right? And you're forced to go through that discomfort maybe initially, but then you sort of, um, you know, begin to uh, begin to rest. So the question that I, ha I had was, you know, let's say somebody does a retreat, right? So it's not just being in a flotation tank. It's not, you know, just being by yourself meditating, but it's for hours together. So you uh, provide people masks, right? That's um, right. Yeah. Right. So how does a person go about, you know, all the stuff that is required of a, of, of a daily life like eating food having water using the washroom how do you how do you manage the logistics i'm sure it might be hard so um what i always recommend people do is that as soon as they book for a retreat with me i recommend that they get one of these um, masks um this is i found that these are really good ones called mindfold mm -hmm. they're specially designed so that you can wear them for a long time mm -hmm. comfortably you can have your eyes open inside. They're not pressing on your eyes and it's pitch black. So um, I recommend that they take a little practice before they arrive at the retreat center, just getting used to doing some basic things like orienting around the space, building, okay. a, men building a mental map. For example, how many steps from where the bed is to where the door is, where the toilet is. So to while sighted build a mental map okay. um, also get used to like being able to lay out your clothes so that you know how to dress yourself um, another key is one thing that the darkness requires of us is to slow down yeah because clearly if you're going to try to attempt to do things at your normal speed you're going to be banging into things you yeah. just can't you have to um, use your hands, your hands to feel your way. So um, they really become um, essential to the process. And, um, <clears throat> and just to say, um, you know, traditionally, darkness retreats were done in many cultures around the world in caves or under, underground chambers, and people would be doing them solo. Basically, you would go into a room on your own. There'd be some arrangement where f food would get to you somehow, but you're just on your own. And although that's a very powerful and valuable experience, I think for most people, as you, as you hinted, it's, it's too strong an encounter with their own mind and their psyche. Mm -hmm. By using these masks, it gives much greater variety to the experience. So, for example, I usually have between 12 and 16 people on a darkness retreat. So that means you've got this kind of supportive group energy, um, which adds a whole other dimension to the thing. It also means that we can experience being in different rooms and even going outside and doing things outdoors. So it's, it's a much richer um, experience, in my opinion, in that way. Hmm. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, for one, I think, you know, just being in the dark gives you an opportunity to be grateful for having sight in the first place, right? Because sometimes oh, yeah. we take uh, vision for granted. And then, you know, when you look at somebody who is visibly blind and they're using the stick because they have so much experience, you know, not using their eyesight, they're able to go so well. I notice sometimes they almost not make a mistake. But the first time that we are not using our eyes, it, you know, there's a good chance that we might knock on something or if we don't go slow enough or like you mentioned, don't have an idea of, you know, what's where. So it's a moment to feel grateful that, you know what, if you're listening right now and if you do have your vision, then you are grateful. And if you don't, there's always something to feel grateful for something that you have at this point. Now, uh, Suta, I'm just imagining what happens to a person, you know, let's say they're in the darkness for two days, three days, and now they're coming out in the sunlight. What kind of experience is that? Well, usually what happens is people say, God, it's so beautiful in here. I don't want to come out. <laughs> they say, I want to stay in for longer. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're asking, when are you doing one that's longer? Mm. So um, uh, it, it, it's a journey and it's a process and it's an encounter with a kind of mystery. And um, so people do go very deep. And that process of coming back out into the light has to be handled sensitively. I'm sure. So, um, you know, um, what I recommend, so usually if possible, we do that outdoors, going somewhere beautiful in nature, so that the first thing somebody sees when they return to the light is something natural and beautiful. And then, you know, the impact of seeing that of, is just extraordinary. It's like a psychedelic experience. The mm. colors are luminous. It's like there's a sense of connectedness and uh, transparency um, with everything around the the trees and the sky and so on so um what i do is that i encourage people to cover their um, head with um, layers of blankets and so on and to really go very very slowly maybe taking 20 minutes of slowly removing various layers so that the eyes are able to gradually readjust Mm -hmm. Well, it feels like coming out of the darkness is like you're opening up to a beautiful gift. That's right. You're peeling it off layer by layer and something yeah. that we just take for granted. Right? Yeah. Okay. I open the door. I go out. Yeah. Wherever it's sunny outside, there are trees, but now you're peeling it open and depending on how beautiful the place is, especially if it's a valley of flowers, that emotion is going to be stored into your long-term memory, right? Because long-term memory is connected with emotion. So you're in a high state of emotion and your outlook on life can change as well. So this is amazing. And thanks for sharing. Action Tribe, if you're listening right now, make sure, especially if you're watching the live stream, to share this stream on your wall because you'd never know who needs to know about the gift of darkness at this point when we are in a darkness of some other sorts at the moment and are opening up to the light of consciousness, um, people might really want and, and benefit from, from this conversation. So please hit share. Um, Suta, talk to us about the history behind the usage of darkness for healing 
and uh, transcendence? Well, it's been present um, throughout culture, throughout history, um, across in every continent, um, you know, in various shamanic traditions. Um, there's quite a stream within um, Tibetan Buddhism of um, practices of darkness. And um, one of the things that it does is it, it makes the boundary between waking and dreaming consciousness a little bit more <laughs> um, porous. And so I think that was one of the methods that the Tibetans used to uh, develop their dreaming yoga and their lucid dreaming um, practices, for example. Mm -hmm. And um, in ancient Greece and in ancient Egypt, there were uh, temples um, in which initiates would go into these dark spaces um, sometimes they were called dreaming temples. And again, this would be where that collectively um, people who were really um, dedicated spiritual practitioners, they would, uh, they would go and again, it would be to do with, um, you could say like astral traveling, um, entering into a states of collective consciousness and wisdom beyond that of the individual. Mm. So um, this, is, this has been happening, you know, all over the world uh, throughout time. And um, one of the earliest um, artworks in human history are found deep, deep in cave networks. You know, the, these are going back tens of thousands of years. And that's regarded as somewhat mysterious, like why on earth were they doing that? And, and how were they even, um, how were they doing that in there? So um, for sure, this has been um, a part of uh, those, you know, those brave, crazy or wise ones who just knew that there's something more to life than meets the eye. Interesting. Uh, have you heard of the theory that they say that there's a branch of the human species that went underneath the earth and sort of, you know, are still living there, but not revealing themselves? Uh, have you heard of that? Because it kind of makes sense, right? People who realize that there is a huge journey of evolution available to us in the absence of light, and maybe we can get light whenever we need, but then being underneath the ground in the chambers that you've sort of explained, was their path? I yeah, I, I don't know too much about that. Um, if you do, then by all means, um, I'm I'm eager to hear. Um, the one uh, that I do, the one I do know about um, that I've heard about is um, the Kogi Indian tribe in yeah. South America. So um, as um, invaders came onto their lands, they retreated higher and higher up um, into mountain ranges. And the mountain range where they are contains very deep caves. And what they do, um, they have some means of divining which children are going to be spiritual adepts, shamans, healers. And what they do is that they raise those special, those kind of chosen children 
in the caves until about the age of 15. And then they bring them out. And you can imagine they're like it, how thousands of feet above sea level, looking out over a pristine natural panorama. Can you imagine the impact that would make being the first thing that you see? Yeah. And your whole life has been about being educated by the elders and wise ones of your tribe. I think that's an, an extraordinary, um, that, that's, that's an extraordinary culture that does something like that. And, um, there's documentaries and books written about those, those people. Mm -hmm. They call themselves elder brother and yeah. um, that everyone else on the planet or many of the people on the planet, especially this, us in civilization, we're younger brother because spiritually, we're we're less mature we're less evolved and maybe part of what makes them more mature and more evolved is the fact that they um have this uh wholehearted embrace of spir uh, the spiritual domain of life yeah when you said that what came to my mind is i think what western civilization is missing out on right now are two things. One is uh, a way to receive wisdom from the elders, right? The elders who have gone there spiritually, emotionally, and physically, and are here to share some gift, but instead people are like ageism is definitely a thing, right? Where people tend to lose respect for people who are old. And then they're a lot of times, uh, you know, placed in old age homes or places far away. So we're missing out on that passage of really useful wisdom and knowledge and perspectives. But we're also missing out on the children because if you think about it, human trafficking is, is actually rampant, right? So the innocence that can actually be used and molded like clay to shape them into leaders and, and healers and shamans of tomorrow, we are, you know, I mean, not everyone, obviously, but some of them are being, you know, uh, corrupted in that sense. So, and because they are an extension of humanity, uh, unless we do something about these two ends of the spectrum of the human experience, it's going to hamper a hamper a complete or full expression of of human consciousness. Right? I, I love that you say that because um, more and more I'm feeling that how much more can we include, mm. like like you just said, at the, at the level of how much more can we include of the human lifespan? Can we mm -hmm. connect with children and infants and include the elders in our, um, in our society, our lifestyle, our decision-making processes? And that goes down also into the individual level. Like how much more can I include and embrace of who I am, who we each are as an individual? Mm. Rather than trying to um, suppress or deny something in ourselves, instead that we can turn to face it and include it as part of our self-identity because there may be some um, hidden treasure there and gifts there, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely bringing more of ourselves that was initially in the dark. We were not aware of it, but now 
becoming more and more aware of our whole self, no matter what it is, whether we like yeah. it or not like it, or accepting yeah. and forgiving. Yeah, I love that topic for sure. Uh, do you remember what has been your most sort of mystical, psychedelic, psychedelic or memorable experience in the dark or maybe coming out of the dark? Do you, do you remember something that sort of stands out? Uh, one very powerful experience was um, on the first day of one of the darkness retreats, while still being sighted, um, I dug my own grave about four or five feet deep. Then I was four or five days, four days in darkness. And then at midnight, I was taken to the grave. I climbed into the grave. And then it was covered over with wood and soil. So I was buried mm. and I was literally, I'm, I'm just lying in a grave where the so narrow, I, there was no room to move. Mm -hmm. And um, I could, uh, I was already in this very heightened um, state from being in the darkness. And then this additional factor of being literally buried and in the earth's embrace and when we spend time with natural elements whether that's being buried in the earth or being by a body of water or sitting by a fire they're very simple experiences but they're very um, primal experiences that i think uh, something happens we absorb something of that elemental energy and that was certainly happening to, for me in that experience. I could hear creatures. I could hear the squelch. I could hear the earth breathing. And through the encouragement of my um, mentors and uh, teachers, I'd, I'd been prepared so that I was going to go in and make prayers, make prayers to our mother, mother our ultimate mother, Mother Earth, from whom all of life comes on this planet and to which all will return in this in, this, in our body mm -hmm. and i was basically unburdening myself of so many things because it, it there was such an intimacy in a way in that experience and um and then you know it was a long night i encountered especially as um i could hear the the earth being piled on top of me uh there was waves of panic and fear mm. Uh, you know, it was uh, it was definitely something to go through. And then um, I was praying. I was calling out to guides and helpers for for uh, you know for strength and support. And at a certain point in that long night, I could hear the bird song of dawn, and that was the sweetest thing I had ever heard because I knew that the, the night was coming to an end. Right. And then at a certain point, um, the, the people holding space, they came and removed those, the wood and the soil and the branches that had been covering me and carefully lifted me out of that grave. And I'm still in the, blind, in the blindfold, but then that was coming to the time of the unveiling and the return to light. And that particular return to light, uh, I was led to something uh, uh, and I finished the unveiling and I was sitting before a mirror mm. 
And the bizarre thing was, I was looking at the mirror and I could not see myself. Mm. What I could see was the silhouette of my form and it was black. It was just all darkness. Mm. It was so psychedelic. And, and also then the sense of this um, immediacy, the freshness of perception and the feeling of connectedness with nature. And I've never felt so grounded in my life. And this is one of the extraordinary gifts that these lengthy darkness experiences can give us is that it opens up the visionary capacity. So there are many people that are speculating that what happens is that we're accessing part of our inner pharmacy, the drugs that we can generate within our own physiology. So some people are saying that maybe we're generating our own DMT, which is an extremely powerful hallucinogenic psychedelic. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like, yes, we're going both into very psychedelic states and yet at the same time, we're landing in the body because we're resting the body, we're slowing down, we're removing layers and layers of stress and tension. So at the same time then, we're able to feel really grounded at the same time as being really expanded in our consciousness. And I don't know of anything else that can do that. Maybe breath work, maybe, bre um, you know, I know that you've explored breath work and had some really fa fantastic guests on, and I'm also very passionate about breath work too. So maybe yeah. breath work is that, that kind of medicine, you know, that's just amazing, right? Absolutely. And when you mix breath work with darkness, that's going to be a different high altogether, right? I mean, I'm yeah. fascinated by, by blending in both. And, and my question really is, is with us being you know, in lockdown or, you know, with travel being difficult and going to the retreats being difficult. Is this uh, darkness experience possible to be replicated at home? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, you could make arrangements, um, especially if you live with others or you have a partner who's understanding, you could make arrangements. Just um, I would recommend to start out with a, with a shorter amount of time, like just dipping your toe in maybe just like three hours for one night or a 24 yeah. hour experience. And you just, uh, you know, you black out your room. You'll be surprised at um, how difficult it is to really truly create a pitch black space because the eyes can be incredibly sensitive. You know, the sensitivity that develops over time is literally to almost photons of light. But you can black out the space, you can buy one of these mindfuls off Amazon, and you could just arrange that, you know, whoever you share your, your home with, there's just keeping you safe, they maybe bring you food occasionally, and, um, you know, you might just do it in one room, for example. Yeah. And, and so it is really accessible um, to do like that, yeah. I've also, because of lockdown, all my retreats this year were cancelled, like for many people, and I've had to pivot to um, running a lot of things online. And so I thought, okay, I'll start to experiment with running um, just coaching sessions using the darkness as one of as as the method. Yeah, and I've found that people um, get really good results with that. So even just that little taste of an hour, an hour and a half being guided into settling in 
befriending the darkness and realizing that it's not something to be afraid of. It's something that's a friend and ally is going to nourish you. And that then you have an experience like, you know, when you get into a, a, into a hot tub and mm. your body goes, ah, oh, yeah, that's really good. The darkness is like that for your soul. Your soul finally goes, ah, oh, at last he, you know, this one who's usually really busy doing stuff and all the attention's outside, mm. he is finally turning his attention toward me and, and opening up to listen to the guidance that might come from the voice of our soul or from something deep inside us. I think this is an experience that cannot be shared in words. One has to experience it uh, themselves or herself, himself. And I, I plan to, you know, do it at home. And I will, I will update you or maybe ask you some questions later on in terms of specificity. But thanks I for sharing. How you get on? <laughs> thanks for sharing so far. And Action Tribe, if you are, like I said, listening, if you're on Facebook, YouTube, or even on your iTunes platform, make sure that you're sharing this right now. Share this post so that we can spread the word and get more people to watch this conversation, this very fascinating conversation on darkness. And now we enter into Tantra. So, uh, Suta, how did you embark on the path of Tantra? I know you told, you shared initially the initial sort of um, exposure was through your relationship with an older woman who seemed to have some knowledge about Tantra, but then how did you sort of, you know, get more deeper into it? So um, part of, part of being with her um, led me to start exploring the world of um, body work. Okay. And somehow um, through that, I came to into contact with the teacher Osho and uh, the world of Osho. And um, so, you know, he is one of the main um, figures, I think, in the modern Tantra movement. You know, he's been, uh, he played a really big part, very influential in that. So mm -hmm. through, through, through that, uh, I think I came to my first Tantra workshop in about 1992. And I was just, Ah, oh, it was such a joy. It was such a delight to find that here was a spiritual path that included and embraced so many things that I was already fascinated by. It was very, um, very uh, kind and inclusive towards the body, towards emotionality, towards sensuality and sexuality. Whereas my um, experience of other kinds of religions was that they tended to have some level of um, condemnation of all of those things. So what I found with Tantra was, yes, it says yes to meditation, yes to sexuality, mm -hmm. yes to celebration and um, expanding um, our consciousness and to deepen our capacity to give and receive love. So was that in India? Did you uh, no, that was, that was just here in the UK. I mean, at one point, I did go to the Osho commune in uh, in India. Yeah, in Pune. In Pune, we, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I grew up in, um, I did my undergrad in in Pune, at oh, Koryong yeah. Park. Yeah. Did you wow. go to Koryong Park? Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> and so, yeah, I know that place really well uh, because I spent a lot of time there. Uh, there was this German bakery. Do you remember the German the bakery? German bakery, yeah. 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 <laughs> and, right. So we would zip around in scooters and this and that. And so there was a university, right? Symbiosis University. So I was I was studying there, and I did not go into the Osho Ashram, uh, but I it was always these rumors, right? You know, the, the, yes. these people coming in with red robes. They do something. Have something is happening in there, yeah. and obviously the mind wanders, right? Uh, um, but that was always at the back of my mind. And, uh, but it's interesting when I grew up, uh, and this is not about Osho specifically, but about Tantra. There was always a negative connotation uh, towards Tantra, right? So mm-hmm. Tantra was associated with black magic. And uh, I still remember seeing some posters on, on trains about some random tantric who would cast spells and, and things like that for you, uh, right? Uh, but that's that's not tantra, right? Or that's a different version of tantra. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a different version. It's very interesting for me to hear of your experience in India yeah. because, um, you know, I was here in the West where there were also quite negative connotations with that word but different ones. So, you know, basically um, when I, you know, in the uh, early to mid nineties, it was still pretty much on the fringe of things. Um, since then I've witnessed it's, it's boomed yeah. and it's become much more mainstream. But at that point it was still regarded as a bit of a weird thing that kind of hippies and sex freaks do, you know? And it was like, uh, there was always this connotation of Tantra with licentious behavior um, maybe the people are uh, involved with, uh, you know, uh, orgies and uh, sexual kind of, uh, you know, things that are outside of the norm. And um, I, my experience has been that whereas there is a lot of great value in the teachings and techniques of Tantra that can help people in their um, erotic dimension, in their erotic life. And I think that's really needed in the world at this time. But there's a much broader and deeper dimension to Tantra, which is really about those two pillars of love and consciousness. Mm. And how can we, um, you know, I'll try to say it really briefly, um, you know, say that we're living in a world of duality, of polarities, which gets played out with things like male and female, um, life and death, um, victim and perpetrator, you know, all these kind of polarities. Mm. How can it be that we can expand our view, our consciousness, our being, so that we can embrace these seeming opposites. And typically we experience those opposites at play and causing all kinds of inner division and conflict within Mm ourselves. How can I begin to embrace them and include them within and and, and, and see that there's actually an underlying or a, a, a oneness or a greater harmony. And I think that is the, the real um, Tantra vision. Interesting. So thanks a lot for clearing out some of the misconceptions right, that people might have, especially if they watch one view of Tantra or maybe if they watch a video where, you know, like you mentioned, you know, half, half naked 
people are dancing around and so the mind thinks in 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 different ways right depending on your upbringing and how you project onto people but then there's so much more to tantra like you've sort of alluded to is the um, going on a journey to understand that even though there are polarities you can understand both polarities but then understand both are part of a whole and experience transcendence what is your definition of sensuality and how is tantra involved in this um so to me sensuality is um part of our birthright you know e- even if we take a kind of scientific view of what we are as um biological beings so that's yeah. part of our our makeup right we're here in a physical body and when we have um physiological needs and biological drives and yeah. part of that is that we've got all these senses and a nervous system that has been developed and refined over millions of years it's exquisitely sensitive within certain parameters within certain limits and um why not explore that why not find out what we're capable of in a way that's um going to uplift us and empower us rather rather than just start out from a place of our oh, sensuality is bad and something to be condemned so um i think that um a basic element of um reality of life on earth is something called eros Mm. and eros isn't necessarily just about um being sexual it's about a feeling of aliveness that can be experienced in through the whole body and mm. through the senses and through everything that we are the feeling of aliveness i'm yeah. sure that everyone over here wants to experience that i remember uh one of my favorite quotes by joseph campbell is that he says perhaps we're not seeking for the meaning of life but we're seeking the experience of being alive and by instead of avoiding our senses how about we consciously explore in our senses and experience mm-hmm. these peak states that we can experience through the senses instead of resorting to maybe drugs or mm-hmm. other forms of addiction that people can go down the route of right and they're doing it mainly because they want to feel that ecstasy they want to feel that bliss they want to feel that i guess sensuality as well but uh, what if we do that in a more conscious sacred manner uh, and you've said that the state that we get into in an orgasm is very potent and it's magical state so talk to us more about this so i think the 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 orgasmic state is in a way has quite some similarities to uh, a state of deep meditation or some kind of peak experience mm-hmm. you know it may be that you experience um time differently you experience um your boundaries are somehow dissolved dissolved and you can experience a sense of melting and union mm-hmm. um with your beloved whatever the beloved is that might be another person your beloved might be spirit it might be um inner um inner feminine and masculine energies so there's this uh 
way in which we can experience union rather than separation. And um, separation is usually uh, leaves us with a sense of disconnection and um, isolation and pain, fragility, mortality. But if we can feel that we're connected to something greater than, then we feel that we're part of something larger and, and that we're intimately connected to a kind of web of life. And um, I think uh, orgasm is one of the keys to that. And maybe even the early meditators somehow made, made a connection there that, um, ah, it's like meditation is like the orgasm without sex, <laughs> without having to have sex to get there. It's just through, through coming into a certain kind of... Um, a certain kind of at homeness in our being, just enjoying our being. So are you then implying that in order to have an orgasm, we don't need to be with a partner? There are other ways of experiencing the orgasm too? Sure. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, I'm finding it interesting that you're uh, – going down this line of questioning about orgasms, for example. And um, it's, it's very uh, normal uh, to, to do so. But in my approach to Tantra, in my approach, I um, certainly in the trainings that I lead, we uh, have methods for people to explore um, certain different, you know, expand their orgasmic capacity. Because mm -hmm. most people only know a tiny fraction of what's possible in their body, mind, and heart. Mm -hmm. And especially men have got a very, very uh, limited um, ideas about that, typically. Yeah. So that is a part of the picture. But also at some point, what I love to be a voice for, because I don't see it very often in the tantral world. In the tantral world, people are a bit obsessed about this whole orgasm issue, this orgasm question. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think it's okay. But if people do that to the exclusion, if they focus on the sexual domain to the exclusion of how is my heart? Mm -hmm. I'm connected to spirit and it's spirit, heart and sex all aligned and in harmony as one. If we just focus on the sex, we become a bit kind of weird and it actually mm -hmm. can create a bit more mess and, and drama in our life that we then have to heal later. So my approach to orgasm would be, yeah, take on practices. For example, for men, it would be, um, you know, learn to have more choice about um, ejaculation and orgasm. And that they are different phenomena. You can separate ejaculation from orgasm. So it's really good for a man to learn that. And then at a certain point, also to just relax about the whole issue because otherwise it can become a kind of stress and a pressure. You know, men are, can be very well-intentioned, like, oh, did she, did she have an orgasm? Did, did, did you come? Did she not come? Mm -hmm. Or it becomes a pressure on ourselves, like, oh, I better kind of try and hold off. I better kind of, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I, I need to last longer and all these kind of ideas that we have. Rather than, can we just simply... Um, enjoy 
this togetherness can uh, and 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 basically because isn't that what we're wanting to enjoy something and and to feel good about ourselves and to feel that here's somebody who's deeply meeting me and seeing me and if we have these ideals then those ideals can easily turn into a kind of judgmental attitude and criticizing so i i like to voice that by all means, explore your orgasmic capacity and then always be willing to relax about the whole subject. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that, uh, you know, Tantra is not just about the lower chakra aspects like the orgasm, but it's also about the heart, but it's also about the so it's a whole body experience, right? So it's not just about the orgasms, which I was going to get into next, which is talk to us about the feeling of um, not being good enough. And how does it affect us? Because I think that is, right? Whenever we want to experience pleasure or elated feelings, that feeling is always there that I'm not good enough. I'm not sleek enough. I'm not, you know, beautiful enough. Whatever enoughs are there, how does that, or if it is hampering our, our living or full expression of ourselves? Yeah, I think that's very, very common, a very widespread kind of wound mm -hmm. um, where if you kind of just peel away some of the layers inside, most people have a sense of being um, unworthy, Mm. undeserving and, and, and carrying a deep sense of um, shame about themselves. So it's, uh, it's quite a journey and process to really um, befriend ourselves, treat ourselves with more kindness and um, start to heal some of the shame and judgment that We've typically, we've, you know, we didn't come in when we were born with that. Mm. It's something that we learned along the way. It's something that we picked up. So given that we, di we didn't come in with it, it's maybe not part of our essential nature. And mm. so we can always do something to um, let go of it, to soften the impact that it makes on us. And um, so I think this is part of the power of love and compassion, in the realm of the heart. And this is something that I've really been working with a lot myself uh, these last years is about how can I be a better friend? And what is it to be kind and respectful and basically a good person? Because, um, and, and this is something, again, that I'm not seeing so much of in most of the tantral world, where it's mm. all focused on being juicy and sexy and orgasmic. It's all fine. It's all good. But also, can we just be kind and caring and a good person? And maybe that doesn't sound like it's very sexy. And yet those qualities enable a sense of safety and trust, which mm. I think is the foundation for us feeling good enough and safe. And if we're in that energy and in that kind of environment where we're respected and treated with kindness, then we can start to feel like 
yeah, I'm okay. And we can start to lay claim to, yeah, I deserve to feel pleasure. It's okay. Mm. Right. That was pretty deep. Thanks for sharing that. You know, trust plays a, a major role, right? Whenever it comes to intimacy um, or even any sort of relationship that you have, when you break somebody's trust, mm -hmm. it can impact uh, themselves on a traumatic level where they, you know, subconsciously make a decision not to trust that group of people, that gender of, you know, people, or even not come across a similar incident in the future that, you know, that, that blockage is there. So, and a lot of these traumas happen early on, right? Maybe even during childhood, early age, that in a way prevents us from fully expre expressing ourselves. So how do we go about identifying these blockages or these events that might or might not have happened that, and the story that we told ourselves at that point that has led to some emotion that is stored in, you know, in our, in our body, how do we go about identifying what it is that is stopping us and then, you know, making a change? So that we look at the at, at the world in a different way now, and we're able to, you know, proceed. Basically, I think a real key is just simply honesty, but a very um, deep kind of honesty with ourselves, and like you know, with the trust issue. Um, when we're dishonest about ourselves or to others, most times that's going to have a negative consequence. It's going to result in hurt. The medicine is a kind of honesty. And then there's something in us that, that knows. You have a knowing within. Every person listening to this has a knowing within. And it may be that we need to seek out the right situation and circumstance that we can access our own inner knowing. Mm -hmm. And then what can really help is like, say, in the um, Buddhist teachings, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. So it can be very helpful to have a good teacher or guide or mentor or coach who inspires us to keep going, maybe when um, the, the journey gets tough, or they're, they're a little bit ahead of us on the journey, and maybe they have they can see with clarity where we might be fooling ourselves or have blind spots. Um, then there's also the quality of Sangha, or connecting in with a sense of community, of like-minded people, who have a similar interest. I think that's also really important. And, um, and then the other one would be Dharma or the body of teachings. So that might be like listening to your podcast. People can get to hear real experts with a wealth of experience. And that might, that might trigger something in them which goes, wow. I, I want to find out more about that subject. Or you might read a book or see a video. I mean, now we've got more access to this kind of what was once secret information than ever in history before. So all of these things can be support to that process. 
And I think one of the things is um, a, a kind of honesty. And then you could say at a certain point in the journey, um, we get to realize that whatever the mind might be telling us, and it might sometimes be shouting loudly, or whatever might be happening in the emotional body, we might be having all kinds of feelings, sadness and upset, abandonment, all of this, that we might also have moments of realizing that there's something in us that is pristine and untouched by anything that's ever happened to us. And that we can um, loosen that sense of identification with our woundedness. And the stories of, oh, I'm a person and I, these terrible things have been done to me and happened to me. Um, but of course, that might take quite some time and it might require that we get a, a lot of holding and kindness and, and skilled support in the ways that I described. Mm. I love the phrase that you use, lose your identification with your woundedness because there's a part of you that is pristine and untouched, so to speak. Yeah. Um, pretty pr most people who've made it to adulthood will have some kind of wounding and trauma. Mm. And whereas I think that the, um, like this idea that's uh, around about the inner child, it's wonderful to, turn and face and embrace the inner child and our pain. I think that's part of coming into our fullness as a human being. But do we want the inner child to be the part of us with the hands on the steering wheel of our life, making important decisions about where we're going? No. There's something in us, something conscious, awake, adult and capable that's present and in the moment and that wakefulness and those qualities are more the thing that we want to call and, and, and have be kind of setting a kind of direction to our life. Mm. So the inner child can be there, but we can have it at our side and, and, and coming along with us through life on our life journey. But, that's not the one I don't think. I don't think that's the one to have leading the way and setting the tone, even though it has many beautiful qualities and gifts to offer us. So as we come to a close, what is your definition of unconditional love? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> the definition of unconditional love. Uh, you know, I don't know if I can, I can define that, define that. Um, I think it's, it's somewhere in the, in the, in the direction, in, in the, the arena of, um, having a warm acceptance, a, a basic kind of yes to mm. experience to my, what I'm encountering in my own thoughts and feelings, 
how that shows up in mm. the way that other people are in my life and 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 having a kind of um an openness and softness including to the times where i want to defend and contract mm. it's like how can i how can i be meet this with a kind of tenderness and curiosity so i'm sorry that i can't say anything more succinct than that because i don't know if it can be defined but it's maybe yeah. it's somewhere in that direction hey <laughs> No, for sure. I love uh, all the different uh, definitions or expressions of unconditional love that I hear from our guests um, on our show. And the one that I'm drawn to, or I've been thinking about unconditional love, especially of late. And what, I, what came to my mind for me was unconditional love is when you shine the radiance of love towards another without expecting anything in return. Not because you need the love to nourish you. No, you're good enough. And you have the love within, but because that is who you are. You mm. are a being of love. And your role, your job is just to shine, not to expect love in return. You can get it, and you'll be happy if you receive it in, in return. But even if you don't, you're good enough. Yes. Lovely. So thanks for Thank you. <laughs> adding this to our perspective action tribe i hope you enjoyed today's session so far in your pursuit of spiritual experience do not forget the vessel that you are in right now in fact it is this vessel your muscles your skin your nervous system that can create the physiological conditions to experience transcendental experience today's podcast is an invitation to worship the temple of your soul which is your body and discover how you can experience more pleasure, more acceptance, more love, more joy through your breath, through your movement and through darkness. Because as Osho once put, the body can become a vehicle to that which is beyond body and sex energy can become a spiritual force. And with that being said, it is now time for the last round for today, which is the wisdom round. So, Suta, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Well, you, you mentioned something of Osho. Um, one thing that I love from him is somebody said, so, you know, how do you define the uh, spiritual path as briefly as possible? And he said, go in. <laughs> go in. Um, yeah, I, I love that. Got it. And if you could turn back time and spend one hour with someone living or dead, who would it be? Oh, um, I, uh, I, I'd love to hang out with John Lennon for a day. Great. And what is that thing you do in the morning or maybe in the evening before you go to sleep that has improved the quality of your life? Um, when I wake up, um, not every morning, but sometimes I ask myself, so Suta, it's a new day. Do you want to be happy or miserable today? <laughs> because it reminds me that maybe it's a choice. And then um, I will do some kind of um, breath work. Uh, you know, I drink a good glass of water and then activate my life force through breathing. Great. 
And if you could recommend one book for our listeners today, what would it be? Preferably uh, something in the in the in the realm of tantra, because I'm also really, really curious. Sure. So, um, you know, one of people often regard something called the Vigyan Bhairav Tantra as like the Bible of the tantra world. It's an ancient collection which includes 112 methods of tantric meditation. Osho made a beautiful commentary called the Book of Secrets. And in recent years, there's a new translation of the Vigyan Bhairav Tantra has come out by someone called Lauren Roche called the Radiance Sutras. The Radiance Sutras by Lauren Roche is really superb. Wonderful. We'll have these in the show notes. Action Tribe, would you like to listen to this book for free? Because audible.com is offering all of our listeners, everyone, no matter what platform you're listening to this on, they're offering you one free audiobook download with a 30-day free trial so that you can listen to these books. And in many cases, the authors themselves read out the books to you. Now, I'm not sure if this book, The Radiant Sutras, is available on Audible, but it makes sense for you to check it out because you can select any book and start listening to it for free, you know, wherever you want. So if you'd like to claim this free credit, go to my 7 forward slash free book. That's my 7 forward slash free book and start listening. So Suta, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a real uh, pleasure to connect with you and talk about darkness and Tantra and, you know, you being able to share so vulnerably your own story. And I'm sure that our listeners are able to draw from this and apply it into their own lives. Before you go, tell us something that you're grateful for and how can we find you online? Well, you know, uh, it might not sound very specific, but I'm just grateful for life. It's, it's just the greatest miracle I've ever experienced and it's uh, such a mystery and uh, an ongoing kind of unfolding. So I'm really grateful for each day of life. Great. And how can we find you online? Uh, yeah, so um, I have www.thedarknessexperience.com. That's really focused, obviously, about the, my darkness work. Uh, so you'll get a flavor of that there. And then I also have sessionswithsuta.com, which includes the other elements that I do, which is breathwork and tantra. Wonderful. We'll add these in the show notes. Action Tribe, if you've enjoyed this episode so far, then make sure you join our official Facebook uh, podcast community at my7chakras.com forward slash T-R-I-B-E, my7chakras.com forward slash tribe, because that's where you can connect with all of our other listeners and some of our guests as we together work towards healing ourselves. And if you would be so kind to write us an iTunes review because these reviews make a huge difference. So if you liked what Sutas shared or what I commented about or, you know, this topic in general, make sure you write us a review on, on iTunes uh, because that helps us grow because other people see these reviews. And finally, if you have any feedback, comments, or some observations, my email is aj at my 7 that's AJ at my7chakras.com. So Suta, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode, talking to us about the power and promise of Tantra and the darkness and taking us one step closer to a human revolution. Many thanks, Aditya. Um, you're doing such great work with this show. Um, so thank you for inviting me. Mm -hmm. 
Action Tribe, are you finding it hard to de-stress and unwind in the midst of this crazy pandemic? Come join us for a soothing, relaxing breathwork session online on Zoom. Now, I do these sessions for our paid members twice a week, and I've received so many powerful testimonials from people who have received a lot of support, comfort, and healing from these sessions. And to show you just how powerful these yogic breathwork practices are, every month I do a breathwork intro workshop for people who'd like to give this a shot. In the past, people have paid anywhere between $10 to $20 for a drop-in, but for a short while, I've decided to make these sessions available for just $0.50 cents a ticket. And these sessions are live, but you just pay $0.50. Cents. So, if you'd like to learn how to calm your mind, relax your nervous system, and experience deep states of bliss using your breath from the comfort of your home, visit my7chakras.com forward slash breathwork intro. That's my7 is a word, my7chakras.com forward slash breathwork intro. I'll see you soon. Thank you so much. Listening to My Seven Chakras at my7chakras.com. That is my S E V E N chakras.com. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.